So when this behavior, when this pattern goes on and on and on, presenting topics you don't care about, to students who don't listen to you, to teachers who don't have time to coach you, no wonder we hate public speaking. We grow up thinking that communication is a chore. It's like doing the dishes, Mm -hmm. right? So how do you reverse that? I've learned more listening to podcasts than I learned in my two years of college. Right now is a great opportunity to leverage the power of voice. No one's going to be able to offer the world what you can. It took someone else that had a bigger vision than me to be able to show me the way. And so now that we're here, we can show others the way. What if you can do what you love to fight what you hate? Be on air. Powered by Podcast Farm. Hello, and welcome back, dear listeners. It's so good to be here with you. This is Kaylee. You're listening to Be On Air, and today's guest is a master of speaking. In fact, his YouTube channel, Master Talk, is one of the most educational shows I've seen on the platform for learning how to master the art of talk. So Brendan is the founder of Master Talk, and he started it to help the world master the art of public speaking and communication. He's also been a huge presence in the clubhouse scene on the new social media app, audio only clubhouse. And he has been sharing so much tips showing how to be a good moderator on the app. So we're going to, we're going to talk about a whole range of subjects today. So this is going to be a good one. Brendan, thanks for coming on the show. It's great to have you. Of course, Kaylee. It's my pleasure. Great to be here. So, all right. So it, it, it was a, it was a quest to, to, have the honor to get you on the show. It took a little bit of perseverance that which we were talking about, and it, it makes it even more exciting to have you, honestly. A little bit of challenge, right? It's great. I'm so happy that you made time to be here. And we are going to get into some pretty amazing topics, topics that are close to both of our heart. And I thought a good place to start is actually from the beginning. Like, where did you grow up, man? Yeah, absolutely, man. It's great to be here. So yeah, I grew up in Montreal. So it's a city in Canada where we basically live in igloos and drink maple syrup all day. But yeah, so Montreal is probably a couple of hours drive from New York City. So I grew up in a suburban city near there, and I studied in French my whole life. And then through that, that's kind of where the communication journey started for me, where I didn't know how to speak the language. But my parents looked at me and they said, well, Brenda, you got to learn the language. So we're going to put you in a French education system. So for the first 15 years of my life, I pretty much presented in a language I didn't know. And that was uh, that was my growing up uh area so to speak wow yeah well that's a that is a a challenge i also i lived in mexico for a while and i had to learn art history in spanish and that was that was challenging to to get this whole new vocabulary of words like beyond the common where's the bathroom you know can i have a limonada it's like how do you how do you talk about all these high concepts and stuff do you still work in french do you still talk in french I do actually, yeah. Uh, I keynote a lot in French too, uh, mostly in my home city, and I also do some videos. Not a lot. I think I've done one video in French, some of it, just to show the differences in the languages. So, when when what would you say is the for you? How do you how do you think about language? How do you think about this weird mouth wiggling thing that humans do with each other? <laughs> yeah, I love it. I, I think for me, language is all about culture. Right, it's the way that we interact with people. There's this great quote that I'm going to butcher, which is if you speak, if you if you speak to a man in in a language that they're that's not their own, it'll go straight to their head. But if you speak in a language that they understand that they speak as well, it's going to go straight to their heart. And I think a lot of that has to do with language, where we can communicate in a way that 
feels like we're a bit more closer together. I think that's one piece of it, the culture piece. And I think the other piece is how do we break down the barriers of communication? Because what fascinates me more about language rather than the words that come out of our mouth, it's the energy of someone. So let's say for you, Kaylee, I knew like two seconds in, oh, this guy's a chill dude. Like I'm going to have a great conversation with this guy. And Mm -hmm. you didn't really say anything. It's not really, oh, you you get, let me give you a 30 minute spiel about who I am. It was just, it's just the way that you are. And I think for some people that that's also language too. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I, you know, that brings up a point that we can talk about clubhouse and the power of voice in a second, but I want to talk a little bit more about language because there's this great book that my mic is actually on. Let me, it's called thanks for the feedback. And even when it's off base, unfair, poorly delivered, and frankly, you're not in the mood. And it's by Douglas Stone and Sheila, Shayla, Shayla, Shayla Heen. They're, they're law speakers at like Harvard. And um, wow, this book has changed my life really quickly. And one of the things it talks about is when I speak to you, unless I say you're so nice or that thing you did was really kind, the, the, what it's doing is it's, call, it's a label. And it's calling up a movie in my mind. And if I tell you that, it's calling up a movie in your mind. But those movies maybe aren't even in the same genre, right? They, they could be completely different. And so it takes a lot of, or it can take either the energy of, you know, hand movements and eye contact and physical to help kind of not lose the message and translation, or it takes some more definition and stuff. And so I think there's a lot of issues that go on in the world because of miscommunication. So I'm wondering if you could speak on that a little bit and things you've found to help with that. Oh yeah, you're you're absolutely right on that one, Kaylee. And in this the sense that because of miscommunication, misinterpretation of information, it can lead to a hundred different things. And I think the main issue or the main cause of that, it's the, just the way that humans think. Where when something happens, we assume the the hundred worst things possible, and we don't really consider objectively what could have really happened, right? So let's say I don't know your your partner comes up to you and goes, "Hey, you you didn't do X, you didn't do the dishes, you didn't do the you didn't pick up the trash or something." Like you know, to her or let's say it's let's say it's a her. Let's say she's coming up to you and you're like, "Okay, well." From her perspective, it's not a big deal. It's just trash. Mm-hmm. But the other person might be, why are you attacking me? It's just trash. right? So, so even something as simple as that, we can construe a message similar to like the telephone game where mm-hmm. when you you hear a certain message and it goes through the whole telephone, all those 20 people. And then at the end of the telephone game, it's a completely different message. right? So the way that I've done this, for me personally, there's a lot of different tricks that you can try, but I think at the end of the day, it's really learning how to be an active listener specifically, not just listening. And active listening means how can we pay attention to what someone is saying in a way that makes them feel that they're being heard, seen, and understood? So a good trick that I use, because I'm a loud mouth, trust me, I'm as extroverted as they come. <laughs> you probably realized that when you looked up my name, you're like, holy shit, this guy does like a lot of <laughs> But so the same thing, right? So I talk a lot. But what I did to fix that is I would practice listening to conversations that were already over. Mm. So let's say I'm listening to your podcast with another guest. The advantage that I have in listening to that is I can't butt in even if I wanted to. Even if I had something to say, I could raise my hand, but the conversation's over. So it forces me to sit down and listen to that whole thing from end to end to just take notes. So I just did that 10 hours a day before a clubhouse, pretty much 10 hours a week, sorry, 
for a couple of years. And that's how I learned how to get better at that. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I love that you brought up active listening because that is, is a practice that I think about on the daily. Um, so what I just heard from you is you listen to a pre-recorded conversation so that you can't interrupt, you can't use and you can't let any of the the sort of subconscious patterns of of whatever come up. It's really it's about paying attention and then you're writing. So you're also benefiting yourself by kind of integrating the knowledge more too, right? Absolutely. And, and another piece I could give you now that I'm thinking through it with the question is you don't have to do this all the time. I would only recommend doing this on the really the relationships you want to go 10x on. So like the like for me, that's probably like five percent of my network that you really want to go deep with, you could add in an extra layer where if you feel something's not being understood correctly, like with the significant other, this is always great. You could say something like, based on what you said, this is what I understood. Did I get that correctly? And most of the time they'll go, no. <laughs> so, so that's a good learning as well. That's another trick I use. Not on everyone or else it's exhausting though. Yeah, it's a good point. And you mentioned like the 5% of your network. So in relationships, in in intimate relationships, especially where we are bound to be more triggered and more activated, um, it's so important that the other person feels understood until they feel understood, not until I think they're understood, but till they actually feel understood. And part of that is is it's sort of again this label thing where we're checking: is my label correct about your label? Is that right? Am I am I close to it? And that helps us get consensus reality, which is really what communication is for me: is like the message is sent and received. And and it, and that's a back and forth. I have to keep in the box here. It's back and forth. And so I'm curious, you know, when we were talking a little bit before we got on the air that we both have a, it's close to both of our heart to work with youth and empowering them to use their voice. How, what are some of the challenges that they're facing with that? And how are you kind of approaching working with them and empowering them in that? Yeah, absolutely, man. It's a good question. So, so let's look at this high level. Like the reason I started the YouTube channel was mostly for the youth, right? Not really for people who can afford my coaching services. It's really for the next Elon Musk, the next Bill Gates, the next Jeff Bezos, the next Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. You know, they might just be a seven-year-old girl in Cambodia, right? Mm-hmm. Who, who, how do we know, yeah. right? So, because of that, those people who are about to be the next big stars, the big change makers of our society. They didn't have access to free communication tools because let's face it, communication coaching is not is not cheap just based on how the market works and just the demand for those types of services. Mm-hmm. So what I thought about was like, how do we create videos for the youth? So that's why I started that channel. And what it turned into was a lot of lessons for me on how the industry is actually, um, how the industry actually works. So, so I'll give you the best example. Why do most kids grow up to be bad speakers or better yet? Uh, what or worse yet, rather, uh, why do they grow up to be fearful of public speaking communication? So, a good way for us to understand that first piece is to ask ourselves a simple question: Where do we give most of our presentations? Whether we're ten years old, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, etc. And the answer is almost always school. Right? We wake up one morning and we have to give a presentation in history, mm-hmm. in French, in any other language. But here's the punchline. A hundred percent, not ninety percent, not eighty percent. Hundred percent of all those presentations are mandatory. We don't wake up one morning and say, "Hey, Kaylee, you wanna get breakfast and present all day?" <laughs> Nobody says that, right? So your fifteen-year-old in a high school classroom teacher comes up to you and goes, uh, "Yeah, um, Kaylee, I need you to do a presentation on the Renaissance," and you're like, "What is this? Like a fruit?" So you present to an audience that doesn't want to listen to you. 
you're presenting a topic you didn't even get to pick to teachers who unfortunately are very well educated, but don't have time to coach you because there's so many presentations to go through. So when this behavior, when this pattern goes on and on and on, presenting topics you don't care about, to students who don't listen to you, to teachers who don't have time to coach you, no wonder we hate public speaking. We grow up thinking that communication is a chore. It's like doing the dishes, Mm -hmm. right? So how do you reverse that? We reverse that by fixing those three pain points, right? You never get to pick the topic. How do you fix that? Make kids pick the topic. So let's say you were in the class. I would just go, okay, Kaylee, what do, you, what do you care about? Okay, you care about telling stories of other people. You care about podcasts. You like helping amplify the voices of others. Make that your presentation because that's something you'll have ownership in. You'll have mm-hmm. skin in the game. You'll enjoy it. That's one piece. Second piece is you're always changing your presentation. So let's say you do history. Well, what happens is kids aren't incentivized to make their presentations great because there's eight of them to kill through. Right, they got to go through history, then they dump history, they go to English, they do the English presentation, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. They're just trying to survive. Right. I can't blame them. I was exactly like that. So the second piece of that is saying do the same presentation hundreds of times mm. or dozens of times. Okay, so Kaylee, you got this presentation on amplifying the voices of others. Do it every, do it every time next week. Mm-hmm. Do it every week. So that way you're not scared of, oh, I have to create this new content. No, no, no. Just do it again. And then the third piece of that is accountability. Make kids the teachers. This mm-hmm. is very counterintuitive. What I do with the kids I coach, most of my executives as kids, is I ask them to give feedback to each other first, even if they're not coaches. Because mm-hmm. that way they get forced into an accountability system with each other, and then they want to see each other win, and then they all become phenomenal speakers. That is really inspiring and very, it's very clearly laid out. Obviously you've thought about this a little bit, right? (laughs) And yeah, yeah, I mean, it's passion, right? It's like helping. And this is the, this is what is broken about the education system where it's broken. Cause obviously there's some amazing teachers out there. There's some amazing school systems out there, but overall I would say that what's broken is that there's not a dedication to letting the student find their own inspiration and find their own passion. And that would fuel everything you're saying. Plus that practice and the, and the coaching is, is that right? Absolutely, man. Like, and that's the thing, like, you know, to the education system point, like people don't have to pay me for this. Like literally take what I said, reapply into the education system. And that's how broken the system is. Like these changes that I'm suggesting right now in the show, it's not rocket science. Like the, like Mm. to your point, my, my sister's an English teacher. They can easily apply this in the curriculum. All the teachers just come together and just make and just say, okay, these kids have got eight presentations. This is not helping them. How about we just do one presentation a semester, but make it really good. Right. Then build their confidence up. Yeah. I like that idea of, of, of sort of like, so I don't know. Are you into magic and illusion at all? Yes. And <laughs> probably not in the same context as you though. <laughs> well, like, you I enjoy- think about, yeah, yeah. Tell me, what do you think about when I say magic and illusion? I, I just think about like the magic of life and like the mm-hmm. magic of serendipity, like especially with us, because I know it was like an intro from Nelson, but then we just met again on Clubhouse. Like that's kind of magical too. I love that. I think that's that's magic. I, I think magicians is magic. What about you? What What do you think? Well, I think magic is another channel of communication and you can do some extraordinary things and maybe we'll get into that before the end of the show, but you can do some extraordinary things with magic tricks 
and elevate them beyond magic tricks to to moments of astonishment, especially when you can combine it with powerful speaking. And as a education tool, as a presentation tool, adding like a, just a just a what do you call it when, with salt? What is it? Like a pinch, like just a seasoning? pinch, a, like, just a little seasoning yeah. into your presentation. You can blow people's minds and and anchor information into their brain in a much different way. And that and I think it's really powerful for kids because it maybe is a you know it's you do something with your hands and it's some bilateral stimulation and so you can kind of you know you you have you have a couple things going on because right I, I would imagine one of the things on stage is like where do you walk how do you stand where do you look where do you put your hands like how do you hold space on stage and so sometimes having something to do that also has a positive impact on the audience is kind of cool so I was curious if you had ever played around with some magic yeah I love that and I think a super super easy way you know for for educators who are listening a good analogy I like to use that I guess is magical is I compare presentations to jigsaw puzzles mm-hmm. you know those uh, jigsaw puzzles you kind of do as you used to do as a kid mm-hmm. so so let's say I asked you this question if you were working on a puzzle yourself, which pieces would you start with first and why mm. uh, the edges the the flat pieces because it's the easiest to find exactly. Right, so you start with the edges, and then you work your way into the middle, right? Mm-hmm. In a group. Yeah. So now the question is, why don't we do that in public speaking? Because mm-hmm. in public speaking, we do the opposite. We shove a bunch of content. We start with the middle first, mm-hmm. and then we do our whole presentation. We get to the end, and it sounds something like this: "Uh, yeah, so uh, uh, thanks." Whereas the way I think about it is, no, no, no. Start with the edges first. Do your introduction. 50 times, not two times, not three times. Do like 50 times. It'll take you like an hour. It's not that hard. It's like a minute mm-hmm. or two. Same thing with the conclusion. Do that 50, 60 times. It'll take like, what's a great movie with a terrible ending, right? Terrible movie last time I checked. It's the same, <laughs> same thing, right? 50, 60 times. And then after like not two years of practice, man, like two hours or something, you can do this in the middle of like a sandwich break or something. You look at this, you're like, wow, my presentation's really good. Now tackle the middle. That is so intuitive and it and it's funny that we don't approach it that way. Like just having the first impression and the last impression solid kind of gives you a picture of the puzzle and then you fill it in. And even if you only filled it in like 50%, you get an idea of what you're trying to talk about. That's a great analogy. That is So again, on this communication tip, you just painted a picture. So you're using imagery. Could you could you share some, I know there's like a million public speaking tips. I know you have an amazing channel, Master Talk. Everyone should go listen. Um, I'm just curious what what's coming up for you now as far as these listeners, podcast hosts. My audience are people who are either podcast hosts now or they're planning to be. They're planning to broadcast. What are some things that we can think about, especially we'll start at the beginning with the edges with an intro? Yeah, absolutely. So in the context of podcast hosts, what I always recommend is... Think of other ways outside of your podcast to make yourself an exceptional communicator. So I'll give you a really easy example of that. Make a presentation on your podcast and start presenting it to different places in your community. So it's in your case, Kayla, you have a presentation or rather you have a podcast on amplifying the voices of others. Make a presentation on that, like a full keynote and go present it like Pat Flynn does with SPI smart passive income and is you know other like lewis house does that with school of greatness make a presentation and start pitching it 
at universities go here here's my podcast this is what we care about this is what i've learned since i started it mm. and what's going to happen is that's going to create a lot of excitement enthusiasm but also feedback on how your podcast is being perceived by other people so when people come up to you you can ask them a simple question like what do you think my podcast is about and if they don't give you the right answer or the answer you're looking for it means you need to remessage that presentation mm. but remessaging that presentation will also help you in the podcast itself because i think what most podcasters are missing is what is my clear value prop why who is this podcast for why is it important and where do i see this podcast going in the next five to ten years because if you don't have answers to all three of these questions you're going to what we call fade out right you're not going to really be able to keep going for a long period of time so that's i would encourage people to do and also apply the puzzle analogy to podcast episodes intro conclusion and then figure out the pieces in the middle after you just dropped a lot of value in a very short time. So I want to unpack some of that for a second. First of all, applying to colleges for speaking engagements, like the old, that's like the OG podcast or something. I just like, it just dawned on me. I've never thought of that. I've never thought of that. And I've never told any of my clients to consider that. But as an expert, if you're listening to this and you want to be a public speaker, you want to be a podcast host and you're not doing that, seems like pretty low hanging fruit to reach out and try and do some appearances for universities and, and colleges, right? Like, whoa, that's a really cool tip. I've never thought about that. Yeah, like it's, it, I know I've been saying you have to charge these people. A lot of my my keynotes when I started, because I was a keynoter long before I was a YouTuber, mm. right? And I wasn't a good keynoter, trust me. I would, <laughs> I, like my first keynotes were two people. I was like, this is how you master community accounts, like 19 or something. They were like, wow. Yeah, they're like, uh, what? Like, that's I don't understand. Like, why are you talking about sandwiches? It just didn't make any sense. But then over time, as as I refined it, and then my coaching skills really started. I started maybe at twenty to start coaching people for free mostly, and then over time, I just got really good at it. And then I was able to create really strong content on YouTube. So for people who already have podcasts, it's the same analogy. Just do the opposite. So now what you want to do is just look at your network and just go, okay, do you know a teacher? Who would want to have you as a guest speaker? Uh, I I doubt everyone's going to say no. Well, it's gonna be like, sure, Kelly. I got a I got a class on public speaking or something. Why don't you come and talk for like twenty minutes and just explain and 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 show the students how else you can apply this knowledge outside? And you don't have to charge either. It's just good practice. Brendan is blowing my mind. Brendan is blowing my mind. If you're not watching YouTube, you can't see the the mind blowing gestures that I'm making. I love this, and I'm personally going to be implementing this because. I'm taking my idea to a lot of adults and educators and, and design thinkers, which is great. But I just realized the importance of taking it to the people who it's supposed to be for, which is the students. And like, boom, if they can't tell me what I'm saying and they're not interested in it, why am I? It's like market validation, you know, just got to do it. That's amazing. Dude, I got to add on there because you said something so good. You did something so good. It, why do you think I have the kids program? That is not for money, dude. Okay. Most of the clients are executives as kids. That's not a money thing. I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's I want to be in their psychology. I don't have access to kids, right? Like, cause I don't have a lot of like cousins who have young children. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's like, no, it's a psychology play. Like, how are my tips actually working? And to be honest, that's where the real learning occurs. When I did my first batch, it wasn't that great the first couple of weeks. Cause the six year old in my class would go like, uh, what's a speech? What's a this? And that's how I came up with Puzzle. 
it was through those interactions. I was like, how to explain this in a way a six-year-old would understand it? You need to play in the dirt. You need to be there with the core customer, the core, mm-hmm. rather than customer, the person you want to impact mm-hmm. so you can get it from them. Another quick example I'll give you was when I started my professional uh, uh, keynoting career. I was very insecure because right? I started keynoting as I was like 21 or something. I was presenting to execs who had worked at the company longer than I've been alive. Like it was really threatening. So I would show off a lot. I would just go, okay, these are my clients. Take me seriously until I give a workshop to a youth group. And they just looked at me and asked me the best question I ever got asked in my career and probably ever will get asked by, I think it was a nine-year-old. She looked at me and she was like, what's a CEO? And I just went, you're right. What is a CEO? Like, who cares? Let's just focus on the good stuff. So yeah, just want to throw that. <laughs> wow. From the mouth of babes. Yeah. They, they, they're at a different layer of reality. And again, it sounds like what you're saying is feedback is important. Like direct feedback. That, oh yeah. That's like, what I'm hearing from you because we we put out our call, we put out our communication there and we're not mind readers. We cannot know what's going on in another person's head unless they share it back. And it's not that we interpret that right, which is why we have to be like, okay, is this what you're saying? And so much feedback is not received, which is what that book is about, is how do we receive feedback? Because if it's negative feedback, we we turn it into I'm not good enough, I'm bad, everyone hates me. Like we we take it personally. And that may even have been what the feedback was, but it doesn't mean we have to take it personally. But anyway, so feedback seems like a really important piece of communication. It's not just speaking at people. It's listening and speaking. Yeah, absolutely. And the layer I would add to that is, is I think Seth Godin has a great point of view on this, is get feedback from the people you want to make a difference for. Like You don't need feedback for everybody. Sure, it's important to consider all that stuff. But I think the real thing is the people who you really want to impact, get their feedback and value it the most. That's how you prioritize it. So let's say for me, it was really important that the six-year-old understood me because I want to make sure that after I'm dead, people can use my YouTube videos forever. Like I want to be the next Dale Carnegie. That's like my big dream. Mm -hmm. And it was unfortunate that Dale just didn't have access to the technology I do today. In the same way Dale disseminated his information through books, he couldn't start a YouTube channel. He couldn't guest on a show like this, mm-hmm. right? Which would have been super cool. So I have to do that for him, right? That's kind of the way I see it. So mm-hmm. for me, it's important that the six-year-old understands it. But to someone who's listening, the six-year-old might not be your audience. For me, it is. So I spend a lot of attention listening to them. For you, it might be a nurse, might be a doctor, it might be a dentist or somebody else. So focus on those people, have dinners with them. I literally mm-hmm. have dinners with them. And I just ask them questions and I take notes. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. So I'm curious, like on your on your journey, what's what's something that has what's been like the greatest uh, hurdle that you've that you've been able to overcome, and how did you do that on your on your speaking and your influencer career on YouTube? I like I said, influencer career. <laughs> that's funny. Hey, you got but, me here. You got me here. You influenced me and all these people on Clubhouse. Yeah, I guess so. But I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I think the way that I see it is like. I, I, you know, there's always going to be hurdles, you know, along the way. And there's, you know, there's definitely dozens of them I've been through. Like when I, when I started moderating on Clause One, I was like, how do I talk to, oh crap, I keep interrupting people. That's one. And then on YouTube, it was, it took me three weeks to like show up with my first video. I was like really scared to post the first one, especially since at the time, I believe, I, I think I was the youngest communication coach on the platform, which of course sounds cool. 
but it wasn't so much fun because everyone else has a PhD and mm. I'm just there in my mom's basement. Just like, yeah, I, I, I think I know as much as the next guy or gal on communication. Right. So, so it was definitely nerve wracking there. So I think with every hurdle, right. There's a lot of hurdles that, that I've went through, but on these two specifically, like when I started mass Talk, another example is when I started posting videos, I thought to myself, well, the education system is probably going to value these videos. Why don't I send it to a bunch of university teachers and see what happens? And it didn't go my way. A lot mm. of people replied and said, who's this young guy? Like, I'm not going to listen to this guy. A lot of people gave me like really harsh feedback that wasn't even like warranted. Wow. Just as like really bad people. I was like, whoa, like the, you're just a university teacher. Like leave me alone. But, anyways, <laughs> like, but, but I think the way we get over that hurdle is by really paying attention to the person that we want to serve. And I think Taki Moore has a great point of view on this. He says with every why, right? You know, Simon Sinek start with why there's always a who behind that. Why, who is the person that you want to serve? And if you don't understand at a granular level, who that individual is, it'll be really hard for you to jump through hoops to go through different hurdles. Right. So when I started YouTube, I sucked. And if you don't believe me, go check my first videos. They're still up. Like I wasn't that good on camera. But then over time, the reason I kept getting better was because I know the seven-year-old in Cambodia can't afford me and can't reach me. Mm-hmm. So I have a choice to make. Do I make those videos for everyone or do, do I just serve the people who are willing to pay for my services? And most people in my industry pick the second option. They go, well, if I got 10 executive clients that pay me 10K each, I have a six-figure living. I'm done. Whereas mm-hmm. for me, it's it's not the game I want to play. Like I do well in my business. That's great and everything. But like, how do I create resources? that help the whole world. And the only way to do that, in my opinion, in my industry, is through a YouTube channel. Wow. Okay. Well, I would love to talk to you a little bit about YouTube. So I've been saying to people that like the Trinity, and I kind of heard this from, from Lewis, which was YouTube mailing list podcast, like the Trinity of, of financial abundance online right now, if you can do that. I, I tell people podcast is the audio platform and YouTube is like the podcast platform, but it's video, even though there are some differences. But would you say that's sort of an accurate way to think about it? One, you need to send me that episode because I've never heard that from Lewis before. So I need to get that from you. That's it was on my... Clubhouse. Sorry. <laughs> oh, jeez. Crap, that's good. But I think Lewis is absolutely right. I, I never heard him phrase it that way because I'm obsessed with Lewis, like the way oh, that cool. he thinks about his content and the way that he's he's influenced me in a big way. But yeah, that's great. We'll have an offline conversation about that. Exactly. But I think he's I think he's right. Like the mailing list, the YouTube channel, the podcast is the trifecta. But what I'll add to the conversation is to really spend time focusing on one rather than the other. So mailing list is fine. Like just add to that. But what I really do recommend is zoning in on one. Because I think the biggest mistake with podcasts and YouTube that most people make is that they try and focus on both and fail at both miserably. Mm-hmm. So, for example, they have a really good podcast and then they put it on YouTube and it sucks because they just copy paste. Mm-hmm. They don't have a production team. The interviews aren't in person. Where somebody like a Lewis or Lex Friedman are good examples that come to mind. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, since the podcast is in person, the experience audio and video wise is very high quality mm-hmm. versus same thing. YouTubers trying to become podcasters, which is a good idea, but I think you need to double down first and get really good at that one platform. And then after you dominate, then you can start to spread out your influence. So that for me, that's why I don't have a podcast and I just guest on them sometimes because I really want to be the best YouTuber on communication. That's really my zone. 
of genius. So I really need to focus all my promotion efforts, everything I do on that. And then as that grows, then it starts to trickle down into a, a podcast I'll probably have in the future. Absolutely. And, you know, real quick. So we're at 30 minutes. How are you on time? Let's keep going. Okay. Good. <laughs> it's too, this, it's too good. This is a good conversation. <laughs> Stop whenever you want. We're good. Okay, cool. Um, YouTube. So one one thought in there, because I've given this a lot of thought and I have no, I've launched, I've helped co-found a YouTube channel that has done really well. And, you know, as a touring musician, some of my songs have like, you know, I think I have like a million views on two songs total. So I've had a little like dip into YouTube, but my own channel for the, for podcast farm is sort of the repository of where I put these podcast episodes. And so this is what we're recording. Eventually I'll live stream to it. I don't, I don't really think that this is the most engaging thing to watch. I don't really think a lot of people will watch it. Although my brother has told me he prefers the YouTube. So I think there are some, however, um, the search engine feature. So just putting it up for the benefit that if someone searches for some topic or some guest that you that it's there, I think there's some validity there. And then a tip that I got from Wyatt, Wyatt Troy from uh, Daw Nation, he has a great YouTube channel behind the Daw. And he says, he'll do the podcast interview like this, or actually he'll do audio only. And sometimes and then he will hop off and film an intro like a proper YouTube video intro and he'll film a proper video outro and he'll slap that on. And then even if it's an audiogram, like a soundbite, like a image in the middle with just audio for viewers, there's some bridge that brings you in and it, and it at least, you know, it feels like a YouTube, like you're on a YouTube channel. So I thought those were two interesting ideas and I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that's good, Kaylee. But if I'm being perfectly honest, I think the, there's two ways of winning in my opinion in the podcast space. And obviously there's exceptions. I know Sam Harris posts his audio only on his YouTube channel, but he's Sam Harris, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. let's focus on the norm rather than the exception. <laughs> so so I think that the key here is there's two ways to win. One is to have an in-person show or really high quality. Because the issue with podcasts, and you're doing this really well, by the way, but the issue in general with the medium, especially when you have a guest in a virtual lens, is the quality isn't as good. Because if your guest doesn't have a high quality mic or something, mm-hmm. it ruins the experience for the end user. So I, I think there's two ways. One way is to have an in-person show, which obviously costs a lot of money. right? You know, you bring people in in person, you have somebody record it, and then it looks really clean. You have it on the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. The other way which is only if you're interested in growing YouTube specifically, this is my recommendation always, is do solo episodes. Mm. So solo episodes means every week you show up alone, but because it's you and nobody else, you can create your own production around that. So notice how there's no guests on my show, but also notice that every single episode is gold, right? It's like super well-produced and yeah. it's like, well, and I'm not saying you have to put a suit on it. That's just my style. I just like that. But but I think the the, the takeaway and this is what I recommend for podcasts who really want to grow their YouTube following is you either need to make your podcast in person and have people like videotaping it and making it look clean, or you come on as a solo artist every week and you talk about, so for example, you could do an episode on the three ways to book a guest. You can do an episode on the three lessons I learned from speaking to X guest. Mm. I think that's the right way. To, to grow the YouTube channel in the way that people come back every week or else people will just pick another show, right? Cause if I'm on YouTube and I get to pick between somebody who just copy paste this on, on, on YouTube versus like Lewis where it's like HD video or like, right. and I get to watch the people like interact, I'll just pick that person any day of the week. That makes so much sense. And 
um, you know, I'm going to just give a shout out here to Desiree Lee, who is, is an amazing author. And this is what her Instagram looks like. So the reason I am showing this is because yesterday on Clubhouse, she it, she's found a way to live stream to YouTube with her Clubhouse screen on the screen so people can see the little faces talking. And that is brilliant to me. That is a brilliant, innovative way to do a YouTube thing. And, and she's against a nice background. So it's sort of like a nice solo cast. But there's this uh, this like voice-only audience uh, contributing value and stuff. So that's an interesting thing. But I really agree with you. Don't diversify our, opinion, our, our energy. Like focus on a platform and go all in. And this idea of the solo cast is super smart. And I've never thought about that, that in addition, and you could easily just use that as the audio for your solo cast on your podcast uh, platform. Bingo. But that'll help your YouTube channel grow. So I, I heard this weird thing that potentially YouTube like pe penalizes you for posting smaller videos and longer videos. Do you think that's true? Um, what I, um, I, think, I think a better way of understanding this, it's more like YouTube pe penalizes watch time. So, so think of it like this. If your audience is used to, to uh, five-minute videos from you and you start posting 20, don't be surprised if your watch time is really low because you're conditioning your audience in a certain way. Th think about mine. My videos are always within the same length because I want them to be. But the other reason is because I know someone won't want to sit through a 30-minute episode on communication. It's just too long. Hmm. Right. But that's my niche, right? More specifically to me. But but I think that's not the case with podcasting because Lewis posts up his full episode and people watch the whole thing. Right. So so I think the, the takeaway here is always put yourself in the mind of a viewer. Right. And the, the number one question you always need to ask you with YouTube, when you look at your channel, you have to always be honest with yourself. It's if I was looking at my own channel, would I want to go through every single video or not? So when people who are looking for communication tips, they know I exist, because that's always the issue with me. It's not like implementation when people know me, like your audience was listening to me now. It's always not knowing who I am. Mm -hmm. So when they type master and they see the YouTube video, they go, holy shit. And they start binging like five. So that's why I know my YouTube channel is working. Mm -hmm. Worse versus if they go, okay, here's one video that Brendan sent me and I'm kind of done with this channel. That's right. when you know you're doing it right or not. Right. Yeah. So watching their their the leaving of the video watching them leaving your platform is really important totally so then let's let's kind of i would love to kind of talk to you about clubhouse briefly because it is a new platform um i've been called an evangelist of it which was not my intention ever but because of the kinds of interactions that have happened because of the experiences that have happened and because of growing my instagram by 250 people in under two weeks uh, which for me being under a thousand followers on Instagram is huge. You know, maybe for someone else, that's not a lot, but for me, that's like a mat, that's like hundred, almost 200% growth. Um, what do you think about this new cutting edge voice only platform? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know that I've spent a lot of time on the app, probably too much that I should have, but I think the, the key <laughs> with clubhouse is look, I, I was really bullish at the beginning. I'm a bit more pessimistic now in the future of the app, but what I will say is in this moment of time, as of this recording, Clubhouse is probably the best place to be if you are specifically a thought leader that nobody knows about yet. So I repeat that again. Clubhouse is the best place for thought leaders who are not yet known. I'll use myself as an example. So I've been grinding YouTube for maybe two years now, right? And I probably got like 6,000 subscribers, something like that on my YouTube channel, which is not bad. 
but like by hustle i really mean hustle like i did like hundreds of podcasts i went to like did all these speaking engagements did a bunch wow. of stuff to promote the channel and it didn't really give me that much traction because most of the podcasts i did had smaller audience which is totally cool right but what happened with clubhouse was what's fascinating about this app the thing that excites me the most is especially at the beginning when I joined in December, when the user base was like 500,000 and very highly engaged, these were really smart, really successful people, high quality audiences that you would have to spend thousands of dollars to get access to normally that just came at your fingertips right away. That's one piece. And I think I still think that's true for the next couple of months. I don't think that'll be true in a year from now, though. The other piece, though, is this idea that there's no more gatekeepers. What's fun about Clubhouse is the democratization of ideas. It's a marketplace. Whoever has the best idea wins. If your idea is good, people will listen to your room. And if your idea is bad, people won't pay attention to you. And I love that about Clubhouse because that means – if you're someone that nobody knows about and you take the effort to spend hours a day on the app and your ideas are actually really good and no one's heard of you before, you will explode on Clubhouse. And that's what happened to me. Day one, I think I started December 29th or something. I was like, okay, I don't understand what's going on. After an hour or two of like speaking, I was like, here, this is what I think about public speaking. Everyone's like, Holy shit, like this guy knows a lot about community. Because remember, I'm really young, right? So before like, you know, gatekeepers, you know, I wanted to go How out old are you, by the way? I'm 24, I'm 24. Wow. So they would be like, oh yeah, you're like young. We don't want to put you up on stage. Well, Clubhouse, like there's number of gatekeepers. So if you're the smartest guy in the room or you have something smart to say and you make people feel great, you take the time to DM them, you take the time to build relationships with them. Clubhouse is your oyster. So yeah, I, I grew really quickly and uh, I plan on staying on. I'm actually quitting my day job to go all in on Clubhouse until <laughs> until this thing goes down in eight months. Yeah, I, I think what you mentioned is really true that it it's hard to believe once all Android users come on and once it's like completely open and m- somehow monetization and all the all the gatekeeping stuff comes into it, that it won't be the opportunity. Like it's it's almost like the gold rush right now is how it feels to me. And I experienced a similar thing where you go onto these stages and contribute something and it levels the playing field because it's all voice. And yes, there's moderators and there is, you can tell by people's bio and how many followers and stuff, but no one on there, you know, no one can have a million followers on there. There's not even that many people. And so it levels the playing field. And like you said, it's a marketplace of ideas. So if you go up and you share something that inspires people, like you get instant feedback and like instant follows, and then you engage so much and you have these conversations with people and you meet your best friends that you never knew you had. And it's just, a it's a special time. And it's, you know, I, if anyone listens to this, it is April 3rd and 2021. And I think that is, it is still totally a great time to get in, find someone who has an invite, ask me, maybe I have a couple, maybe Brendan has a couple, just like get in and check it out for a while because it is an exciting opportunity right now. And yeah, who knows where it'll go, but I'm really happy to hear that you had traction because, and who knows if that would have happened exactly if you hadn't done all that hustle before and polished yourself and gotten yourself to that point, right? So it's the universe works in mysterious ways, but I wanted to kind of bring this back to you and your why. And I'm curious if you could talk to us, why did you put in so much work? Why, what was it that allowed you to have that much passion and purpose to do this? Right. So there's two pieces to that. There's the clubhouse piece, why I put in so many hours and there's the mission in general. So Clubhouse is really simple, right? It's just a moment in time, and I've been given an opportunity that I'll never get for the rest of my life, which is, here's the audience, Brendan. You have a chance to reach them all right now. Are you going to take it? 
Because after Clubhouse is saturated, like YouTube is now and all that stuff, you won't have that chance anymore. Do you want it or not? So I said yes. <laughs> so I spent uh, you know ten hours a day on the app for a couple of months, and it led to the results it did. But but for me, the bigger piece here, and that's why I think I'll be the last moderator standing on this app, because my mission in life is to be the bridge between everyone's ideas. Hmm. Right? If everyone, whether you're a seven year old girl like in Cambodia, I know I always use that country, but whatever Laos, whatever, <laughs> or whether you're you know the fourteen year old girl in Utah in the U.S. you know studying in high school scared of to give their first classroom presentation. If I could be the bridge between every single human being's ideas, what would that that would imply that all of the best ideas would be heard. And if all of the best ideas were heard, the human race will advance at a much faster rate. Almost exponential. So that's why for me Clubhouse became my my gateway because this has given me an opportunity to be the bridge between everybody. So now I need to be in every room. I need to be on all the time so I can constantly share who I am, what I'm about, and you know, so people can get access to my free tools and things like that. So yeah, that's the mission is to be the next Dale Carnegie and help generations after me master this important skill. Wow. Uh, that's super noble and in, in such an interesting visual in my mind of being the bridge between all ideas and trying to understand what that what that even like looks like or takes the form of. And it's exciting because I think that is the experience on the app. And it's not about Clubhouse. It's about human connection. I think this happened before in other ways and it's happened through books and it's happened through all the all this stuff. But Clubhouse is giving us this sort of neural net, this parallel processing, distributed network, neural net of humans. And like you said, it's sort of a high quality audience, not in worth. Every human is worthy, but in in like expertise and, and the time they've put into their passion and purpose. And so you get these ideas that kind of just, they, like you said, they rise to the top and these ideas kind of float around all the rooms. And if you're in all the rooms, you kind of amass this coagulation of of interesting ideas and and that has been really enriching and it sounds like it still requires a lot of work and a lot of dedication and that's why you're going all in because you're seeing hey i'm putting i'm putting my time in here and this is having so much more results than putting anywhere else like why go anywhere else just focus there yeah so as we're winding down towards the end of the interview this has been really educational there's a couple areas i would love to touch on before we before we wind down for today. So the first one is what are some books? Like what's one book that you would like the world to read? I'm so glad you said that because most people go, what are the three books? And I always listen from a podcaster's person. I was like, I'm going to go out there and buy three books. Right. So I love that you said that specifically. One book. Okay. The one book that nobody recommends on public speaking is my Bible. Okay. For everything I do. And it's called Thirst by Scott Harrison. Scott Harrison's the CEO of Charity Water. It's a nonprofit he started to help people gain access to clean water. But more so than that, Scott, in my opinion, is one of the best storytellers in the world because he took an idea, raised half a billion dollars off of the idea to help people get access to water, but he did it through public speaking and communication. And what's fascinating is that's a lot harder to do a nonprofit because in nonprofit, you're exchanging money for a non-tangible good. So I'm giving you money for your cause and you're just giving me the satisfaction that I contributed to your cause. That's very challenging versus it's a lot easier to sell me a $1,000 iPhone than it is to sell me a cause, Mm -hmm. 
right? So I think Scott's been masterful at it. Uh, he's a personal hero of mine, and it's a book that you know a lot of famous people recommend, and I think it's a book everyone should be reading. And and the way he did that was through storytelling. Is that correct? That's how he he anchored the value of the cause to the donation. Yeah, exactly. I have a whole video on on my channel about just Scott and the way he did that. But but the idea is pretty simple: is how do you tell the stories of other people to include them within the mission of your organization? So Charity Water is not about Scott; it's about everyone around the organizations, the donors who give money. It's the seven year old girl. There's a great story about a seven year old girl giving like seven fifty to the charity. They made a whole documentary around her. It was amazing, and they said, "Look, if Nora could give seven bucks, why don't you give?" They raised like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars off. <laughs> <laughs> right so it was it's just so smart I, I i just like i just like what they do i i think scott's one of the few nonprofit executives i've seen in the world that knows how to tell stories and that can actually solve the problem which i wouldn't say for many charities but i'll mm-hmm. give him i'll give him that stamp of approval for sure yeah definitely check out that book and even the intro of this podcast uh my my magic and illusion mentor jeff mcbride he uh he's friends with david copperfield and he has him on his broadcast uh live magic and mystery school broadcast that they do every week and he was saying david copperfield david copperfield is a billionaire and he and it took a lot of work and a lot of suffering to get there. But it, but the way he did it was he tapped into the power of storytelling to do that. And I think that's what you're echoing. And it makes so much sense. That's what we are doing since the dawn of man and women and woman is use our voice to communicate with each other and tell stories. And that is what podcasting is. So that leads me to my next question, which is what is a podcast that you want the world to hear? Oh, that's a tough one. I would probably say Lewis Howe's The School of Greatness. I've always been a big fan of Lewis. He, he's the reason why I am the person I am today. started listening to his podcast when I was 17 when he was getting started with the show, and I've been following it ever since. Wow. So I, I definitely recommend that. And of course, the episode I'd recommend is the one he did with Scott Harrison. Oh, double, double whammy there. You can kill two birds with one stone. That's awesome. So then as a final magic trick or game you do this amazing thing that you probably get asked all the time so if you don't want to do it i totally understand but you maybe already know what it is yeah, yeah. Um, you 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 show people the power of sort of improv we could call it freestyling but but how you can practice public speaking would you mind giving my audience a demonstration of what that is yeah absolutely so it's called the random word exercise so essentially what that is kaylee somebody gives you a random word and then through that random word you have to create a presentation out of it which i'm happy to do so why don't you give me the word and i'll i'll give you the speech okay we're gonna do it really randomly i'm gonna open up my book hold on let's get this camera going i'm gonna open up the book just one one random word right yeah just make sure it's a word i understand that's all how about feedback feedback's great (laughs) as i sit on my kitchen table Yeah, not a chair. I just like sitting on my table. I ask myself, what is the best way for me to enjoy what the world has to offer? And sure, as I'm munching away at my dinner and I'm enjoying the life that I have, I also think about how I got there. How I got so lucky to enjoy all of life's delicacies. And I think the reason has everything to do with feedback. Feedback can be easy for some, but difficult for most. Feedback is required to help us advance, to help us get better, for us to sharpen up the sword that we use to go to battle. 
It is what helps us refine who we are and what we want to achieve with our lives. So I ask you all today, whether it's good feedback, whether it's bad feedback, whether it's feedback you want to hear, or better yet, feedback you don't want to hear, to listen to it anyways, to sit down, pay attention, and ask yourself this simple question, what's the lesson here? What's the lesson there? What's the lesson everywhere? And if you can keep accumulating like a collection of cards of feedback, I think that you'll be the master of your own game. You'll have so much feedback that you'll know exactly how to get better, how to get from point A to point B, whatever that point B may be for you, and achieve the goals that you want out of life. So go out there and receive feedback and also give it to the people who need it the most. Thanks. That gives you like an idea. It wasn't that great. It's kind of like, eh, but yeah, sure. That was that <laughs> was fantastic. Thanks, man. Br- Brendan Kumarasamy from Sami. Brendan Kumarasamy. You pronounced that perfectly. Whoa. Brendan Kumarasamy from Master Talk. Please go check this gentleman out. He is making serious waves in the communication and public speaking world, and he's very generous with his with his knowledge and tips and just support on clubhouse. So go find all his rooms and Brendan, that was amazing. That was so fun to get to talk to you. And I hope that we can have another conversation in, in a few months after you've blown up even further. <laughs> I appreciate it, brother. Thanks for having me. It was great. I'll catch you on the next one. Take care, man. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of beyond air. I hope you enjoyed it and are now one step closer to turning on your mic and broadcasting your message to the world. Are you ready to start your own podcast and amplify your brand? Or are you struggling to get your show in front of engaged audiences? I can help you on your broadcasting journey. Get in touch with me and apply for a strategy session if you want to discuss your podcast idea. You can reach me at www.podcast-farm.com. I'm on all the social media. Until next time, my friends, I'm Kaylee Marks. Thanks for tuning in to Be On Air.